It's great to be here again. Uh, as uh, Simon was saying, we've been up here a number of times over the years from Jeremy's uh, time leading the church and then again having reconnected with you in the last couple of years uh, as Raj has asked me to come up and to uh, share a weekend with you. It's been a super weekend. I've really enjoyed it and the sun shines in the north of England. I mean, I come from the deep south in Bournemouth and we expect sunshine there, but it's shining here in the north and uh, uh, we've really got quite hot up here this weekend. So it's been uh, uh, great to be here. We've enjoyed a beautiful countryside, which is fantastic around here and the friendship of the church and just being back with you. Thanks for giving us such a, a good weekend. And uh, we're going back to uh, Bournemouth uh, this afternoon and I think we'll have a very warm feeling in our heart from having had the opportunity to be with you again and uh, bless you and we'll be thinking and praying for you in the future and uh, asking that God will bless you and increase you and that you might be increasingly effective across this seaside area as you build this church and advance his kingdom in this place and indeed as you touch things overseas as well which uh, I think all our churches should be doing and I know that you're good at that and I know you're good at serving those that are in need as well so I'm sure God is with you uh, and will bless you in the future. Now we're going to go to the very end of the Old Testament uh, this morning to the book of Malachi and I'm actually going to read the very end of the book of Malachi so if you've got your Bibles or mobile phones you might like to turn uh, to the uh, end of the Old Testament, and we're going to pick up in a moment in Malachi chapter 3. This, of course, does bring us to the very end of the Old Testament. Malachi was the last uh, prophet of the Old Testament era, and so his book does actually come in the right place, right at the end of the Old Testament. He was, of course, a prophet, and uh, he was therefore speaking the Word of God. And my hope this morning is that we'll hear the Word of God through this prophet Malachi, but also there'll be something genuinely prophetic about what happens here this morning as we uh, have a sense of the Word of God giving us hope for the future. Uh, really quite a challenging and sometimes even desperate time uh, in the nations of the world as we're facing right at the moment. So let's uh, read from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll go to the end of the book. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evil doers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in, the presence, in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogance and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. 
not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, many of you may not be over-familiar with the the book of of Malachi, but there is a kind of formula that runs right through this short prophetic book, and it uh, is uh, a formula that kind of occurs eight times in these four short chapters, and it takes the form of a dialogue between God and the people. And every time it begins with God making an accusation against his people. And in the passage we've read, it's there in verse 13 of chapter 3. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. That's the accusation. And then in the the next part of the dialogue, the people uh, give a response to that. And it's again there in verse 13, here's the response. Yet you ask, what have we said? against you. And then, and this is the eighth time this happens, God replies in some detail concerning the accusation against his people. And it's there from verse 14 and 15. Well, you've said this, it's futile to serve God. Uh, What do we gain by carrying out his requirements or going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? I wonder if you have ever felt like saying something of that sort to God. It's futile to serve God. What's the point of going around, doing our best, serving God, trying to be faithful? I mean, have you ever been tempted to say that? Or maybe you have said it. What's the point? Because here I am trying to serve God, trying to live for God, and what we see is it says here, the evil are the ones that seem to prosper, and I seem to have nothing but problems and difficulties. So what's the point? And indeed, it's not only Malachi, uh, in Malachi's time, that people were saying this in the Old Testament. You'll also find it in other parts of the Old Testament. So if you go to Psalm 73, you see that the, the psalmist also makes this kind of complaint. He starts Psalm 73 by saying, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And the psalmist starts like that because he knows that's what he's meant to say. All right, this is the theory, this is the doctrine, this is the theology. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Well, that's what we're meant to say. Then he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on like that through the Psalms, saying, okay, well, God is meant to be good to Israel. He's meant to bless his people. But actually, I don't see God acting on my behalf. What I see is the evil prospering, and people who do wicked things are the ones that seem to be successful and live long life. In other words, the problem is this, and surely at times we've all felt it, 
why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God act? Why doesn't God intervene? And you can look at the the world today and I think you can ask that sort of question. I know sometimes I'm tempted to ask it. You look at the ongoing horrors of Syria and you think, why doesn't God do something? I think for me, it often is a question around the persecuted church and I see the church uh, persecuted around the world and absolutely persecuted in North Korea and I find myself thinking, God, why don't you intervene? Why don't you do something? Or maybe you could feel it about what happened recently in Manchester or what happened recently in London, on London Bridge or what happened in that terrible fire in North London and you can be thinking, God, why don't you act? Why don't you do something? And God's answer in this passage, and this is what I want you to remember above everything else here this morning, is there in chapter 4 and verse 1 where God says, Surely the day is coming. Now, in the Bible, there is constant reference to the day of the Lord. Or sometimes it's just called, as it is here, the day. And I could endlessly illustrate that to you, but just to give you a few examples, from the Old Testament, Isaiah in chapter 13 and verse 9 says, Surely the day of the Lord is coming. Or if you go to the prophecy of Amos, he puts it in a slightly threatening way in chapter 5 and verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? The day will be darkness, not light. And the prophet Joel puts it even more strongly. He speaks of the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Notice it's both great and dreadful. You go into the New Testament and you'll see that that theme of the day of the Lord runs again right through the New Testament. So let me just give you one example from the Gospels where in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22 and Jesus is speaking here about uh, uh, the end of the age and the coming of final judgment and in Matthew 7 and verse 22 this is how Jesus puts it. He says, many will say to me on that day. Here again, it's just called that day. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and so on. And then perhaps one of the most famous references is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 where we read the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so there are all these references to the day, to the day of the Lord. Here in Malachi, surely the day is coming. And we need therefore to ask a question, which is this, well, what does that mean? What is the day of the Lord? And fortunately, here in this passage in Malachi, we have a definition of it. It comes twice, and the first time it comes is in verse 17 of chapter 3, and it's again repeated in chapter 4, but in chapter 3 and verse 17, God says, On the day when I act, says the Lord. And so the day of the Lord is the day when God is going to act and when God is going to intervene. But my friends, that is exactly our problem. And it was the problem for the people of God in Malachi's 
time. There's no point in serving God. It's futile going around seeking to be faithful to God because God doesn't seem to act and God doesn't seem to intervene. And there may be times when you feel that. You feel the same way. Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God intervene? God is saying, surely the day is coming. And I want to illustrate that to you in a few ways. So, one way I want to illustrate it to you is to say this. The day of the Lord is about God's intervention in history. Now, the Jews in Malachi's time needed actually to look back into their history because the most important event in their Jewish history was the day when God intervened. And you'll remember that uh, in the early days of Jewish history that the Israelites or the Hebrews as they were called in those days were actually in Egypt and they were in Egypt for some 400 years and they became slaves while they were in Egypt and in their slavery they obviously were suffering and under the yoke of oppression and they began to cry out to God for help and for deliverance and as the story rolls on as we read it in the book of Exodus eventually we know that God raised up Moses and Moses was God's chosen leader to take the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and eventually bring them to the edge of the promised land. But when they left Egypt, you will remember, I expect very clearly, that they almost immediately faced a huge problem which caused them to fall into absolute despondency and misery because they escaped out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, and there suddenly the Red Sea is in front of them. And not only is the Red Sea in front of them, but the armies of Egypt are behind them. And the armies of Egypt are approaching the sea. The Red Sea is this impenetrable barrier in front of them, and the people are wretched and miserable and begin to think, why doesn't God do something? And they begin to complain bitterly to Moses. I want you to hear this passage, which is such a striking passage from Exodus chapter 14 and from verse 10. Just listen to the drama of this passage. As Pharaoh approached, that's the armies of Israel, as Pharaoh, sorry, the armies of Egypt, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, because you've got to blame somebody, haven't you? They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. And on that day, God acted. And the Red Sea opened, and of course the children of Israel went across and dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to follow them, 
the Red Sea came back and the Egyptians were drowned in the sea. Surely the day of the Lord is coming. Now you can look back and indeed uh, the Jews of Malachi's time needed to look back on that event to remember that God intervened in their history, something that actually is remembered by the Jewish people to this day as the significant event in their history. But you could look back on that and say, well, that's ancient history. Well, I want you just to listen to this. In his book about the civil rights movement, Andrew Young recalls the passing of the waters in Birmingham, Alabama in 1964. Easter Sunday dawned with Martin Luther King in jail, and we planned a march from New Pilgrim Baptist Church to the city jail for the afternoon of Easter Sunday. By the time church ended, 5,000 people had gathered, dressed in their best Sunday clothes, and the marchers set out in festive mood. Suddenly they saw the police, fire engines, and firemen with hoses in front of them blocking their path. The police chief, Bull Connor, shouted, turn this group around, and 5,000 people stopped and waited for instruction from their leaders. White Walker and I were leading the march, and I can't say we knew what to do. I know I didn't want to turn the march round. I asked the people to get down on their knees and offer a prayer, and suddenly Reverend Charles Phillips, one of the most faithful and fearless leaders of the old Alabama Christian movement for human rights, jumped up and shouted, the Lord is with this movement, off your knees, we're going on. Stunned at first, Bull Connor yelled, stop them, stop them. But none of the police moved a muscle. Even the police dogs that had been growling and straining at their leashes were perfectly calm. I saw one fireman, tears in his eyes, just let the hose drop at his feet. And our people marched right between the red fire trucks, singing, I want Jesus to walk with me. The policeman had refused to arrest us. The firemen had refused to hose us. The dogs had refused to bite us. It was quite a moment to witness. I'll never forget one old woman who became ecstatic as she marched through the barricades. And as she marched through, she shouted, Great God Almighty has gone and parted the Red Sea one more time. <laughs> God intervenes, and he intervenes in history. Surely the day of the Lord is coming. And then I want you to see next that the day of the Lord is about God's intervention in person. And so we've just seen that the Israelites were 400 years in Egypt and they became slaves during that 400 years and they cried to God, why doesn't God intervene? And eventually, as we've seen, God does intervene and on that day, not only does he set his people free, but he opens the Red Sea for them to walk through. Well, the book of Malachi closes the Old Testament. Do you know how many years it was between the prophecy of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament era? It was again, yes, 400 years. And during those 400 years, generations of Jews were born and died. And in those 400 years, there was no prophet in Israel. 400 years, no prophet in Israel. And the rabbis sought to keep the faith of the people alive. 
and they will talk to them about the faithfulness of God and about the fact that the day of God was coming, the day of the Lord was going to come, that one day the Messiah would come. But 400 years, and there was no prophetic word, there was no Messiah, there was nothing. And during those 400 years, Israel was invaded and occupied again and again. First the Persians came, then the Egyptians came, then the Syrians came, then the Greeks came, and then the Romans came. And you can imagine through 400 years the people were crying to God, seeing all these invading powers and saying to God, God, why don't you act? Why don't you intervene? And there is this prophetic word that stands almost hauntingly at the end of the Old Testament. It hovers there for 400 years, their last prophet saying, surely the day of the Lord is coming. And then you read Galatians 4, 4. And the Apostle Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his Son. And Jesus came, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God intervenes in person. As you think of that, I want to take you to a hill called Calvary and I want to remind you that Jesus Christ having been betrayed, having been through six trials in one hideous night, having been beaten and flogged having had people spit at him and mock him and pull the beard out of his face was taken carrying his own cross which now he's actually too weak to carry all the way to Calvary's hill and there at Calvary, Jesus is taken by brutal men and is crucified to a wooden stake and is lifted up and dropped in a socket and there exposed before every public gaze, naked and in agonizing pain for everybody to watch and see every dying, gasping breath. And in that time, as Jesus is lifted up on that cross to die, He's actually substituting for you and for me as he bears our sin, as he bears uh, the wrath of God for us, as he takes our place that we should have taken condemnation and punishment, but Jesus takes it for us in our place. And today I get genuinely distressed that we have clever people and even theologians suggesting that if you paint that picture, what you are doing is painting a picture of a father in some way abusing his son, that there was the holy God of heaven abusing and torturing his own son upon the cross. And I'm thinking to myself, dear God, people have forgotten the basic foundational doctrines of the Trinity of God, that actually God is one God, yes, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's one God. And the scripture said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And there, as he goes to Calvary, it's not an objective father looking on a son whom he's now in some way putting upon a cross, but God himself is absolutely in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no abuse taking place here. It is God himself entering history. God acts and God intervenes on our behalf. And today, as in the time of Malachi, 
we as the people of God could be saying, why doesn't God act and why doesn't God intervene? Then, brother and sister, I want to say to you, look at your own history because the most dramatic intervention that has taken place in your life came on the day, even if you now cannot pinpoint that day, but nevertheless came on the day when Christ revealed himself to you as Lord and Saviour of your life and you were forever and for eternity changed. And so for me, it was as a boy of 10 years in a Sunday school class in North London and to sue my wife, it was at the age of 14, having gone to witness uh, the baptism of a 14-year-old neighbour who lived next door. And for you, your circumstance, your age, your day would have been different. But for all of us, there was a day in our personal history that if we believe God intervened. Surely, the day of the Lord is coming. The day when God acts, and when God intervenes, and he has already intervened personally in your life. And then again, I want you to see that the day of the Lord is about God's intervention finally. Now, we have this prophetic word, surely the day of the Lord is coming, uh, but the day of the Lord, as a phrase, most strongly refers to the day when God will act and intervene at the very end and conclusion of history. And it's interesting that it's not just at the end of the New Testament, but here at the end of the Old Testament, in the prophecy of Malachi, that the end, in the sense of that final day, is reflected. Surely the day is coming, God will act and intervene finally. And even in the Old Testament period, Malachi prophetically recognises that. And so, for example, here in chapter 4 and verse 1, Malachi says, Surely the day of the Lord is come, and it will burn like a furnace. But then you go to the New Testament, and in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, this is what we read. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And whether it's the end of the Old Testament or whether it's the end of the New Testament, both prophets in the Old Testament and apostles in the New Testament are saying, the day of the Lord will come finally. God will intervene. There will be fire on that day. And all that is dross and evil will be burnt up and there will be a purification that takes place finally on the day of the Lord. Or again, if you come to... Uh, Malachi here, chapter 4 and verse 1, you see that the day of the Lord is also about judgment because surely the day of the Lord is coming and all the arrogance and every evildoer will be stubble and on that day that is coming he will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. And Malachi is saying that surely the day of the Lord is coming and on that day finally there will be a judgment of all those that have resisted and stood against God, who have been hostile to God and to his works and to his kingdom. And you go to the end of the New Testament, and in Revelation chapter 20, what you find is that on that day, Jesus Christ sits on the great white throne 
and every person that has ever lived, great or small, it says that in Revelation 20, whether you've been a president, prime minister, or whether you've been an orphan living on the streets in some Middle Eastern country, whether you've been great or small in the eyes of the world, everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ on that final and dreadful and yet great day. But also interestingly, that day will be a day of joy. And again, you see that here in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. And that is a picture of uninhibited joy. Because I'm told that when you have to take uh, cows into a barn in a cold winter and perhaps hold them in that barn for weeks or even some months, there comes the day when spring is coming and you let them out after the weeks of confinement and even the oldest cows hop about and jump with joy because they are now released. And so we go to again to the end of the New Testament and we see that in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7 there's a reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, says the Scripture. Let us rejoice and be glad, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. And on that day, we will eat and feast and celebrate with Jesus Christ, because all evil will be done with, all judgment will have passed, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and on that day, we will rejoice with Jesus Christ with uninhibited joy. It's there in Malachi, and it's there at the end of the New Testament as well. Surely the day of the Lord is coming finally, and I will act, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I need to say just a word about the meanwhile, because the day of the Lord is coming, but we don't know when it is. And we read in 2 Peter chapter 3 also, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. To us it may seem slow. When's God going to act? When God's going to intervene? But in the economy and time scale of God, the Lord is not slow about keeping his promise. So you and I live in the meanwhile. Meanwhile, before the day of the Lord comes, how do we live in the meanwhile? And interestingly, Malachi also tells us that. So just look at this very quickly. For one thing in the meanwhile, we need to talk with one another. And you've got it there in Malachi 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. You recognize what we're doing as a church community today? We're talking with each other. It's very easy to become cynical, even as believers or, you know, things are difficult, when's anything going to happen, when's God going to act, when God's going to intervene, you know, when are we going to break through here, uh, what's the point, you know, is there any relevance in what we're doing uh, today, and we have these promises about Jesus coming back, well, when's he going to come back, and actually, what we need to do, my friends, is to make sure we're gathering regularly, like on a Sunday morning here, or on our small groups during the week, or wherever, we're talking to one another, and that we're reminding one another through the teaching, preaching, conversation, that actually we have a truth and we have a hope. And we build that sense of faith as we talk to one another. 
We also need to grow strong in the Word of God in the meanwhile. That's in chapter 4 and verse 5. So this is the Old Testament situation, but Malachi says, remember the law of my servant Moses. We might say today, remember the Word of God. The decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. So the Old Testament context refers to the law. Remember what God has said. Remember the law of God. New Testament, as we're New Testament Christians, it's really the same truth, but we'd say, remember the Word of God. And uh, in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what we're to do in the meanwhile. In the Old Testament, Malachi says, remember the law of God. Here in our age and dispensation, we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. The reason that most of us as Christians have problems and difficulties that we seem unable to get on top of or to overcome is because we forget the Word of God. And you may come to church even sometimes and say, I've heard that before, but actually you need to hear it again because you forget. And actually I've spent my lifetime dealing with Christians who keep forgetting. <laughs> and we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Because everything we need for life and godliness is to be found in the Word of God. Make sure that you soak yourself in this Word, that you receive the Word with joy, that you feed yourself with the Word. You need to go strong in the Word of God in the meanwhile. And we also need to remember the prophecies. And that's there in verse 5 of chapter 4. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. That's a prophecy. Malachi says, I'll send, speaking as God, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And some people have tried to take that absolutely literally as though somehow Elijah is going to come back. But Jesus interprets that prophecy when he's on earth in his ministry. You go to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 14, Jesus says of John the Baptist, he is the Elijah who was to come. And Jesus is making it clear the prophecy has been fulfilled through the coming of John the Baptist. And so the people for 400 years were living with a prophecy that the Elijah is to come. And Jesus says, look at John the Baptist. He is the Elijah that was to come. And he gave witness and foresight to the coming of Jesus. And you and I, as New Testament Christians, we live with prophecies. We live with Jesus saying, I will build my church. And that means Teesside and Middlesbrough as well. He'll build his church here. And we have prophecies, 318 of them, that say that Jesus is going to come back again. And we need to live excited with the fact that we have these prophecies that are definitely going to be fulfilled. And then also we need, in the meanwhile, to live reconciled to one another. And that's right in the very last verse of the Old Testament. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. It's a picture of reconciliation. And let me tell you this, my friends, that in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to live as a reconciled community. There must be no pettiness, no pettiness in the church of Jesus Christ. We know that there's to be no barriers because of race or colour or of education or of background, but we can let different personalities rub on us and pettiness can come in and we can get frustrated and irritated with people. Hey, the scripture says Christ accepted you, accept one another also. And every one of us who is a believer here has been accepted by Christ. And we need to accept one another also. Sort it out so that we live 
as a truly reconciled community. A few weeks ago, Sue and I had uh, a few days in Barcelona in Spain, and uh, uh, we, we actually went by ferry to Bilbao and then drove to Barcelona. And before going to Barcelona, we heard two things from many, many people. Lots of people said to us, Barcelona is a fabulous city to visit. And then many other people said to us, and sometimes the same people, but you could very easily get robbed in Barcelona. And so we were kind of living with these two things, and we decided that we would protect ourselves against robbery. And I've travelled literally all over the world, and I've been to country after country, and sometimes into relatively dangerous countries. But uh, uh, we felt that we'd had so many warnings that going to Barcelona, we would protect ourselves like never before. Uh, so I won't go into all the details, but for example, I had a money belt, which I'd never had before, which I had around my waist and under my clothes, and all sorts of things like that. So we come to Barcelona, and uh, we're going to uh, book our car into a private car park just outside the city, uh, and then get a bus into the city. So we go into this car park, and uh, I reverse into a parking bay, and we get out the front doors of the car, we go to the back doors to get some cases out. Somebody shouts at Sue. She's distracted. A young guy snatches the handbag off the front seat, dives through the open window of a waiting car, and is gone. It happened in the very first minute of us being in Barcelona. <laughs> so we were prepared like we'd never, ever been prepared before. And in the first minute, we were totally caught out by surprise. I'm saying to you this morning, brothers and sisters, surely the day of the Lord is coming. And you may think that you're prepared. And you may think you know that Jesus is coming. And you may think, yes, the promises will be fulfilled. I tell you, when it happens, every one of us is going to be caught out by surprise. <laughs> but that day is most surely coming. At the end of the book of Malachi, which is the end of the Old Testament, we read this promise, surely the day of the Lord is coming. And at the end of the book of the Revelation, which is the end of the New Testament and at the end of the whole Bible, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. There is a day when God will act and he will intervene finally. And we are being prepared for such a day. Amen? Let's stand, can we please? <laughs> As we are closing this morning, I, I want to just kind of bring this personally to you. I've kind of put this on a, in some ways on a cosmic scale and on a church scale, but just as I close, I'm going to pray um, now you, but I want to give an opportunity for more individual prayer. I believe that God may actually intervene and act for some of you today in a personal way. Surely the day of the Lord is coming, and maybe today is the day when God will act for you, and God will intervene for you. And before I came out uh, to, to preach this message this morning, the word that God laid on my heart was stress. And I think there's a number of you here this morning that are in stressful situations. And you're stressed because you've got sickness, uh, illness in some way. 
or you're stressed because a member of your family is ill, or you're stressed because you can't get a job, or you're stressed because the job you're in just is, just is not the job that you want, uh, or that you're, you're, you're stressed because of some circumstance that you're facing right at the present time. And actually, I believe that for some of you, God would say to you today, this is the day that I act for you. This is the day when I intervene. Surely the day of the Lord is coming. And you may say, well, I've had prayer before for this sickness or I've had prayer before for this situation. But none of us know the day that God is going to come. And surely the day of the Lord is coming. And this could be the day of the Lord that God acts or intervenes for you. And uh, I want to suggest, I'll pray now, but I want to suggest that as we sing a final song, that those of you that would like more individual prayer for that, that actually you come forward, and I know you have a ministry team, and you can say, you don't have to give all the details, but you can say, I've got a sickness, or I've got financial problems, or uh, I've got this circumstance, and let's have some prayer for you individually, because this could be the day when God acts and intervenes for you. Father, I want to say thank you for uh, this day, Lord. I thank you for giving us this day. And I thank you that we are people who live with promises and with hope. I thank you that the day of the Lord is surely going to come when finally everything will be wrapped up and from the throne will come that voice that says, Behold, I make all things new. And Father, we sometimes think, Why don't you act? Why don't you intervene? Why don't you do something? But Lord, we know that finally it will be the day of the Lord and you will act in a conclusive way. And Father, I pray that you will act on behalf of this church. I thank you for this church, for its history. Thank you that this church has got a history, that you've intervened in the life of this church over the years. And I pray you will continue to intervene and to raise up leaders and to bring together people who love you. I pray that you will save the lost and that you will restore the backslidden and you will build up and edify the saints. And Father, I pray that your church here will advance. And as we talk to one another, help us to remember that you have said you will build this church to your praise and glory. And I pray this morning, Father, that you might intervene and act in certain people's lives, that this for them will be the day of the Lord for you. Lord, I pray that you will act and that you will do miracles in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's sing.